Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, We're continuing uh, in a series called Fear Itself. And the hope is that if you listen to all of these messages, not just pull one out or but as we listen to all of them, uh, that each and every person is going to be able to overcome any fear they have, stepping out and doing something that maybe God has called them to do. Not guaranteeing it, it's over going to help you overcome like fear of bugs or flying. It's not what this is all about. I'm sure I'm still going to be afraid of bugs and flying and a lot of other stuff after this. Uh, but hopefully, any fears that anyone has about maybe doing something that God has called them to do, uh, whether it be, you know, start a relationship, uh, or anything uh, that they won't have that fear anymore. So here's the thing. We can't continue talking about fear without talking about the most common fear, which is fear of failure, right? A lot of people have looked at something they wanted to try and either failed at it or, or maybe didn't, didn't, didn't try it because they were afraid. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but... A lot of us have looked at things we wanted to try and said, I'm, I'm, I'm too afraid. I might fail at that. It might have been a relationship. It might have been starting a new job. It might have been um, trying a new restaurant. And true story, uh, Christy and I love to eat, love food. You guys know that. But there was this one restaurant that we loved, right? And it closed. And then we found another restaurant that we loved, and it closed. And then we were afraid to go to any new restaurants because we were like, if we go there and we like the food, it's going to close. So for a while, we just didn't go to any new restaurants. Now we found two other ones that we love. And uh, truth be told, I'm a little nervous about what may happen. But uh, so we even said we've got to try to get as many people to go there as we can so they don't close. Uh, But uh, which if any of you uh, shout out, it's not like they're listening to the podcast. Uh, one of them is called Faux Valley. What? Faux Valley. Valley, yeah, in yeah, Monagahela. Great. So anyone that likes Faux, if you don't know what Faux is, come with us. We'll introduce you. Great. Uh, the other one is called V&V Scratch Kitchen, Finleyville. Uh, if you guys haven't tried it, uh, we've only been there once, but the food was delicious. Delicious, reasonably priced, good food, uh, spacious. Uh, yeah, now all of you will also be afraid if they close. But uh, here's the thing. I, a lot of us, fears about a lot of stuff, uh, fears about even little things. And, and I, I, I contemplate whether or not to, to, to share this, but uh, fear about little things, like even maybe encouraging someone or just trying to be there for someone. And you're like, I may not get that right, or I may not have the words to say, or... I may say the complete wrong thing and mess it all up, so I'm not going to do that anymore. And this happened to me, and and some of you may remember. I know Brandon and Ben will remember this because it was right after the election, and I was at a preaching conference. He's laughing already. I was at a preaching conference uh, uh, in Ohio at one of our sister converged churches, and there there were pastors from, you know, Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans, all, all denominations, all there. 
at a conference, and it's not so much, hey, you should preach this. It's more we would sit around a table and dig through the Bible and then say, why do you interpret it this way? Why do you interpret it this way? Let's look at what the author is saying, and how can we convey that honest interpretation of the Bible? And then we all went back. We had homework. We had to dig through and study and, and, and you know, share our interpretation of these passages around this table. And so I did that that night, and then they had the election, and then Trump won. So when I got up, it was like 5.30 in the morning. There were a bunch of people that were happy. There were a bunch of people that were upset. And there were a bunch of people that were upset with the people that were upset and all this stuff. So I shared a post. And I, I got a picture of it up here um, in our Facebook group. And it was from Stephen Colbert, who does one of those late night shows. You guys know who Stephen Colbert is. And he had done this video. 10 minutes long. And at the end of the video, I don't know if you guys can read this, at the end of the video, after this thing of trying to bring unity and peace to everyone, he wasn't bashing anyone, because he's a comedian, he said, you know, so no matter what political side you're on, go kiss a Democrat, hug a Republican, and then he said, do this phrase to a libertarian. And so I thought, this is great. I'll post this in our church's Facebook group. And, you know, because I know we have a lot of different political beliefs here. So I post it. I kid you not. I think, I don't remember if it was Ben or, or Bob. We just prayed for his wife, Sue. One of those, probably 37 seconds, sent me a text. Floyd, do you know what the blank, blank to a libertarian means? And I was like, yeah, isn't it like a weird hug? You give him a hug? like. A hug, it's a hug. It's like a sideways hug, like you would do to a guy, hey, taking a picture. And they were like, no. And then more, uh, I think Corey texted me. And, every, and so I went and looked it up, this phrase. It's not up there. <laughs> I went and looked it up, and it wasn't a hug. It was a sexual act. The kids, I don't know if the thing's that. So it, 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 so it said, and I didn't realize it. He's a comedian, so yeah. And it wasn't bad words. But the thing were normal words, but it was for a sex act. I was going to say known sex act, but I didn't know what it was. You guys probably didn't know what it was. Heather didn't know what it was because she shared it. <laughs> She's gone, so we can talk about her. Uh, and she put, oh, wise words from my pastor. Love my church family. <laughs> and I'm like, OK. Uh, so I went back, and I edited it. And only look, you can only see only like 10 or 12 people looked at this thing. But I went back and edited it and removed the do this thing to a libertarian. But she had already shared it, so I couldn't change hers. Like, what are you going to do? So over the next couple of months, and you guys know that, that you know, there was a lot of tensions about you know, Trump being president between Democrats and Republicans and everyone. And I didn't say a word. Because I was like, I don't, I don't want to mess it up again and just like have this intention of trying to do the right thing be like this huge failure that just might make some people mad. And I forgot who, one of the comments, somebody, I forgot who, somebody was a libertarian and said, what are you going to do to me? I'm a libertarian. OK, yeah, because it was this sexual acting. But in any case, it, it, it's just, it, it happens, right? Best of intentions, uh, you make a mistake. Um, you fail, and then you're like, I'm, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to 
try to encourage someone again. I'm not going to try to help someone again. I'm not going to do this thing maybe that God's calling me to do. And I'm not saying God called me to do that. I just felt like, hey, what's it? But when you fail, it hurts. But here's what we don't understand. Failure is subjective, meaning we look and we say, I tried this thing, and it didn't go the way that I wanted to. Uh, and let me see if I can go back, because the definition of failure, it's, it's the lack of success at achieving a required goal or task. So if we fail, if things don't go right, we look and say, I wasn't successful at this. I just, I can't, I, I'm not going to try this again. I'm not going to uh, try to encourage someone again. I'm not going to try to do the thing that God's called me to do again. I'm not going to go to church again. I'm not going to share the gospel again. I'm not going to try this restaurant again because we look and we say, ah, this was messed up. But here's the thing. Failure uh, from God's perspective, sorry, I'm going the wrong way, is different because if God is the one who calls us to do something, then isn't he the one that determines whether or not we failed? Now, God probably looked at the post I made and was like, yeah, Floyd, you failed. You screwed that up. Get it. But when God calls us to maybe go across the street, talk to a neighbor, go, go encourage a coworker, go donate either some money or our time at some local charity, and we think, oh, I got nothing out of that, I messed it up. Uh, again, that's subjective. We look and we say, we didn't achieve the task we wanted. And God looks and he may be saying, that's exactly what I wanted to happen. It got the exact required um, desired thing that God wanted. And that, that doesn't make sense to us, but I want to show you just a couple of examples really quickly. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. If you don't, pull one out from under the chair, left, right, or somewhere. Because I, I, I want you to see God's perspective on someone trying to do something versus the human perspective on someone trying to do something. Uh, and this particular passage is about John the Baptist. And most of us are familiar with John the Baptist. We've talked about him uh, multiple times. And in chapter 11, verse 1, here's what it says. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, in the previous verses, he's sending out the 12 in groups of two uh, uh, to go and to minister and to share the gospel. Uh, when he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee, Verse 2 says, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, and this is John the Baptist, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, a little background, and we know this, and we talked about this before. John the Baptist had been telling Herod, hey, guess what? Uh, it's not right for you to divorce your wife in order to marry this other woman who was already married to someone else. And that, that's what he did, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So Herod had him put in jail. And so John is sitting in jail, and he's like, did I fail at the ministry and the task that God had called me to? He's like, maybe I got it wrong in pointing out, hey, you know, here's Jesus, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and pointing people to him. Because if, 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 if I got it right, and, and Jesus is the one who's going to take away the sins of the world and the Savior of the world, why am I sitting in prison? I messed it up big time. Now, uh, let me backtrack a little bit because uh, in the Gospel of Luke, it tells us specifically God's purpose for John. 
Because uh, God sent an angel, and it's the angel Gabriel, to visit his parents. And the angel said to him, meaning Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah. That's the father of John the Baptist. This is before John the Baptist was born. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, she was getting a little older in age. And they were like, oh, we're kind of at that tail end where if we don't have a child now, but it was believed she was barren or unable to have children, and so they prayed. And God says, you know what? I'm going to answer your prayer. He sends the angel Gabriel. And then he tells him this, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And we're not going to read it, but a couple of verses later, that happens. Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, comes to visit, and then Elizabeth, who has John, gets filled with the Holy Spirit while she's pregnant with him. And then this is how this particular passage ends, and this is what the angel says. This is the purpose of John the Baptist. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So God says, hey, here's, here's, here's the ministry, the purpose of this child. His life is going to be dedicated to turning the people of Israel back to God. He's going to reunite families. He's going to literally point people to Jesus. That's his purpose. But John is sitting in jail, and he's like, I failed. I must not have gotten that right. So he sends his disciples, and he says, go ask. Maybe I got the wrong guy, but go ask just in case. And here's, here's what Jesus responds. In verse 4 of chapter 11, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So he says, hey, when these disciples come and they say, Jesus, John wants to know, are you the one? Because he's sitting in jail. He's kind of like, I messed up. Maybe I got the wrong guy. And Jesus' response is, don't go back and tell him what I said. Go back and tell him what you see. Because you should be able to see that, yeah, I am the one. I'm healing people. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm doing all of these things. And then he says this, verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He said, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. And this is what he says. This is Jesus, who is God, his perspective on whether or not John failed. He said, then what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. So not only was he successful, he was the fulfillment of scripture. And in verse 11, he says, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He says, just to be clear, I want everyone to know, 
And he, he could have said, there is not one greater than people born in this nation. But he wasn't narrowing it down to Israel. You see, he could have said, uh, better than you know, the people who are claimed to be descendants of Abraham. The reason why he said that there is none greater, anyone greater than John the Baptist, uh, born of women, he talked about people born of women, is because he's saying there is no one in humanity, no human being, not you, not me, not anyone born in the past or anyone born in the present, who's better than John the Baptist. And the only reason why he put so much on John the Baptist, so much praise, it's because John the Baptist didn't fail. John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus. When John the Baptist was, was down by the water and he was baptizing people, he said, hey, there's someone coming. This is not about me. All the people came out to see John. He said, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Someone's coming who's going to be 10 times better than I. I'm not even worthy to, to tie his sandals. And then the priests came and they said, hey, what are you out here doing? You're preaching, but you're not preaching the same thing that we're preaching you know, that denominational kind of angst amongst people? And rather than point to himself, he told the priest, hey, there is someone coming. You guys need to be looking at Jesus. And then the next day when Jesus came, he said, hey, all you priests, all you people, this is who I was talking about. He didn't focus on, hey, everyone make my ministry great. He focused on, hey, my life is about pointing people to Jesus. And then it says, either the next day or two days later, when he was with his disciples, Jesus came, and he looked at his disciples, and he said, hey, that's the guy. That is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so they went and followed Jesus. And he wasn't like, no, 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 stay, because I want my house to be filled. I want lots of people in the pews listening to me preach. He said, no, my job is to point people to Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah. There is no one born of women who is better than that because he dedicated his life and his ministry to pointing people to Jesus. So while John's sitting in prison being like, I messed up, I must have failed, God's looking at John saying, you are the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be when it comes to people among men. And then later we get to a time where Paul, you guys remember Paul, right? Uh, Paul uh, used to, like, crucify people who believed in Jesus. Um, and really quick, let me show you this. We're going to walk through a lot of scriptures, so I'm just going to put it all up here on the screen. In Acts chapter 22, he's, he's getting arrested. This is after he's been all over the place preaching, been on his first and second missionary journeys back in Jerusalem. He gets arrested, and he says, I am a Jew. He says, before I get arrested, can I just, can I just take a moment? This is, now, imagine this if you're getting arrested for whatever doing something wrong uh, that people think is wrong, but you're doing the right thing. Maybe it's for preaching the gospel in a nation where it's not allowed. Maybe it, whatever it is. But as he's getting arrested, he says, hey, can I take a minute? He says, I am a Jew, like you, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law, and our fathers being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So he says, first and foremost, I want you guys to know I'm just like you. I'm the same nationality as you, same race as you, probably a little bit more educated than many of you, because I was taught by this guy who everyone in Jerusalem would have known who Gamaliel was. He was one of the high priests. It's kind of like if you turn on the radio and you listen to, uh, you know, Charles Stanley or one of these famous people who have been preaching for years, radio shows uh, in every city, they play their, their sermons. And he says, yeah, that, that's who brought me up. 
and he said, I persecuted this way. And the reason why he called it this way is because it was believed to be a, 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 a sect by non-Jewish people of Judaism. Because at that time, only Jews were really focused on and believing in it. And he says, I used to persecute people, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And he used to have people locked up. He would come and say, hey, aren't you guys supposed to be Jewish people? Yeah, but you're talking about Jesus. You're going to jail. And some of those people were killed, and some of those people were tortured. And he used to be proud of that. But then he flipped, and he goes on, and he tells them about how he met Jesus on the way. And he says, now... Instead of boasting about my Jewishness and all these things, now the highlight of my life are all these things that you would consider failures. And he writes to the church in Corinth, and uh, down the road we're going to do a series where we kind of look at specific things out of 1 and 2 Corinthians that apply, because those were churches that literally mirror what's going on in our world today. But he says uh, this, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. And a little bit of background, he's writing to them because they're saying, hey, there are all these really cool preachers, and I'm putting it in our context, with big buildings and mega churches, and they're filled to the brim, but they're not preaching the gospel like you're preaching, they're talking about other stuff. So shouldn't we follow them? because they're better than you. And he says, well, if you want to compare boasts, he says, I'm going to boast uh, as well. He said, I also dare to boast. And he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. So he says, we have all this in common. Then he goes on and he says this, are they servants of Christ? And he says, I'm a better one. And he says, I'm talking like a madman because he's going to start boasting about these things that everyone looks at and would normally say, well, that's why you're failing. That's why you're not getting it right. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. And no one lists that on their resume, right, when they're looking for, hey, I want churches to people to come to our church. Here's how many times I've been in prison. Here's how many times I've been beat up. Here's how many times I've been near death. But he says, these are things that people would look at and say, well, maybe that's why you suck. But he holds them up as, these are things that I did because I was serving God. Those things that people would look at and say, this is why you failed. He says, I want you to look at them and see why. I'm going to brag about those things. Those are awesome things because I did them serving Christ. He goes on and he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Now, really quick, when they, like, whipped someone, they would give them 39 lashes. And it was believed most people didn't live until the 40th one. And he's saying, I got that five times. Right? Some of those are recorded in Scripture. He also, let me put that in context, because um, it, it's hard because we don't whip people today except, you know, with the belt, and you don't have to raise your hand, but my mom was good with a belt. Uh, in context, imagine if you fell from a 10-story building and you survived. That'd be a miracle, right? We'd say, wow, you're a miracle. If you fall the second time from a 10-story building, uh, we'd be like, oh, my gosh, something, I don't know, God must love you because he's saving you. The third time, we'd figure you're Superman because there's, we also figure that you just need to stay away from windows, 
But the, by the fifth time, and you're still survived, and you're still around, granted you hurt some bones, whatever, but you're still alive, we got to figure God must have his hand on you. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. These hardships, all of these things that are difficult, and there are reasons why most people would say, I am never doing that again, he holds them up and says, these are reasons why I can't stop doing it why I have to keep serving God. He says, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. He says, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, from robbers, from my own people, danger from Gentile danger in the city, in the wilderness, danger from false brothers. And it wasn't just, hey, natural disasters and governments that were after him. It was fellow churchgoers, fellow people who said, we love God, but we're going to kill you because you're preaching something different than we are. That whole division in the church. He says, in toil and hardship, many a sleepless night, hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. To put this in context, that's like the people who say, hey, come to our church. We don't have a band. We don't have a bunch of seats. We don't have cool music. We're just sharing the gospel. I remember someone told me years ago, yeah, but Christian folks, here in our westernized culture, we want new and pretty and shiny in our church. We want full band. We want nice seats. We want, you know, parking lot that looks good with, with greeters out there and, and all this stuff. And we want all of the hype. He's saying that, that doesn't equate to success. And not having those things, being hungry, being starving, being without food, doesn't equate to failure. And here's, this is the part that, that, that gets me. He says, apart from other things, there's that daily pressure on me of man, my anxiety for all of the churches. And I can identify with that. Because there have been times after conversations with local pastors in our area where I just wanted to weep for hearing about some of the things that they say, this is what makes me a success and in this whole 20-minute conversation about all the accolades, not once did I hear, and we're pointing our people towards Jesus, which is more important than anything else any church in this community can do. It doesn't matter how many people are in the building. It doesn't matter how many services you have. And I've said this before to you guys. What matters is are the people that are leaving your building going out and being the church to other people? Are they sharing and showing the love of Christ to others? Now, he goes on. He says, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. In his first letter, he kind of summed up why he has this viewpoint. And he says, to the church. Now, we've talked about this before. There are certain things that are in Scripture that are just to a specific group of people or just about a specific event. There are certain things that are in Scripture that are to all people in all times. So when he's saying, hey, I went through all this hardship, that doesn't mean that every pastor has to get beaten up, robbed, be shipwrecked and lashed in order to be successful, right? He's talking about his particular event. This, he's talking to the people, and not just the people in Corinth, but to all of us. And he says, to all of us, consider your calling. That's what we said. This whole series is not about, you know, overcoming fear of flying or fear of bugs or whatever, but overcoming any fear that may prevent you from doing what God has called you to do. And he says, consider your calling, brothers, because not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. 
There aren't a lot of rich people in this room, and if you are, thank Jesus for that. None of us are kings or princes or heir to a throne or a fortune. None of us have influence over the government or, or rich people or, you know, barely over our families. But, he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And before anyone says anything, yes, he's calling us fools. And that word fools, God chose what's foolish, he's calling us fools. It's from a word, a Greek word, and I'm, I'm going to mispronounce it, it's moros, but it's a Greek word where we get the English word moron. And he's pretty much saying, yeah, God looked down the annals of time, and he chose ridiculous, foolish, moronic people like you and me so that we might go out and not brag about our success, what we did in our own strength, our wealth, our power, our nobility, but what God has done through us. And if anyone looks at our lives they're not going to see the strength that we build and, and how far we've come on our own. They might look at our lives, people that know us, and instead they see, well, you failed at this. Yeah, but God brought me up. And then you failed at that. Yeah, and God brought me through that. And then you failed at this. Yeah, but God was with me the whole time. And I'm still here. And I'm still giving him all the glory, giving him all the praise, despite how many times I've failed. And the world looks at us and they say, well, you're just the common this or the common that. And God looks at us and says, yeah, but you're a child of God. The world looks at us and they says, you know, you're just this outcast who can't get things right. And God looks at us and he says, you are the only person that can accomplish what I am calling you to do. And I'm going to be there with you to do it. And you may look and say, ah, I'm going to fail. And God looks at that and says, hey, that's okay, because I'm going to help you succeed. So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm not going to ask the band to come up, but I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And whoever you are standing near, just join hands with somebody. And I want you to bow your heads for a minute. And God, we acknowledge right now that the hand that we are holding is someone who may have failed over and over just like us. The hand that we are holding may belong to someone that the world calls a fool or foolish just like us. We acknowledge that the hand that we are holding is someone who is, might have seen pain and hurt and misery and be afraid to attempt something again just like us. But we also acknowledge that the hand that we are holding is a beloved child of God whom you love, whom you sent your son to die for, to whom you thought worthy enough to fill with your Holy Spirit, and to whom you look at and pour out your love and your grace and mercy on just like us. God, we pray for the person whose hand we are holding, that you would help to remove their fears from whatever you may be calling them to do. 
that you would give them courage, that you would give them strength, that you would give them the ability to persevere and to overcome, that you would allow them to acknowledge their failures, not as something that stops them or a wall that prevents them from going forward, but as a stepping stone that propels them harder and higher to achieve all that you have called them to do. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Now take a moment, I have to say this clearly, turn around and give whoever's hand you're holding a hug, not the other thing, just a hug. All right, thank you guys. Uh, again, thank you guys so much. Uh, pray that you enjoyed the rest of your Sunday. God bless and see everyone next week.